Every single day you wake up, you have the opportunity to start over, to make a difference, to right a wrong, to shift your life into a better direction. Thankfully, we have a God that gives us that second chance every day. We hope this show will bring you information and stories that will inspire you to be the best you can be. This is Every Day is a Second Chance, presented by Heyman Hoke. Thank you for joining us, and God bless. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Every Day is a Second Chance. I'm your host, Fred Heyman, and this uh, show is sponsored by my law firm, Heyman Hoge. It's a, an estate planning and elder law firm located in the DFW area, and uh, luckily they're wonderful to let us host uh, to host this for us and let us put this message out to everybody. Today I've got a phenomenal guest on the show. Uh, he happens to be the son of my director of community outreach. Uh, his name is Chad Williamson. Sheila, his mother, works for our firm. And he's got one heck of a story that I think you guys will really, really uh, be inspired by. Um, for those of y'all that don't know, August is a Substance Abuse Awareness Month or Recovery I think awareness uh, Recovery month? month is September, but it's, okay. it's, it's there's two different ones. It's like the federal government says it's September, but everybody celebrates it in August. So it, basically, we get two months. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. probably along with Donut Month and yeah. Cappuccino Month, Margarita and, you know, Day. We, yeah, we ne- we never know what they're gonna do. So, but we're we're here because we want to bring awareness to substance abuse. We want to bring awareness to recovery. Um, as as you all know, if you've watched our prior episodes, the 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 point of our show is to talk about how we have a God of second chances. And that no matter what happens in our life, that we every day we wake up, we have a choice. We have a choice to go in a different direction. And when we when we start talking about second chances, I, you know, I, I I read stories and and I, I talk often about uh, stories in the Bible. But there there's stories everywhere about people that need a second chance because somebody did them wrong, or people that need a second chance because something unexpected, like my story. A, a, a disease hit my body that I had no control over. And then I had to go through a surgery and the doctors botched the surgery that I had no control over. So sometimes you have no control over the things that cause your life to turn upside down and, and need a second chance. Sometimes we do it to ourselves. Uh, the one thing we have in, in the world, and I don't need to tell anybody out there, is sin. And, and sin causes us to do horrible things. We all do it. We're all broken. We all do things that we regret that we shouldn't do. And sometimes that, that those things cause us to go through events in our life that uh, require us to pick ourselves up and start over again. So the one thing that, that I think is more important than anything else that we talk about in this show is that throughout the entire Bible, it, it's very obvious that God is more interested in our future than he is our past. And as long as we're breathing, as long as we're still here on earth, we have a second chance every day to go in a, the right direction and do things different in life. Uh, as I mentioned to the you, you, you all in the last episodes, I'm actually going through another second chance in my life. I went through a second chance because of health issues, and now I'm working on my second chance because of a, a, a failed marriage and a, a bad relationship and a divorce and having to start over after that. 
Um, but Chad here today is going to come and talk to us about his story. Uh, his story starts many years ago. I think uh, we can probably go back to childhood, but we'll, I think we'll start at, at really the traumatic event in your life that completely turned your entire world upside down. And Chad, I'm just going to kind of let you tell our viewers about, I'll, I'll interject when I need to, but mm -hmm. I'd really like for you to just tell them your story. Oh, that's perfect, man. Um, giving an alcoholic drug addict a chance to talk about himself, man. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think that could be any better. Um, so when I was in college, uh, I was 19, and I was on my way back to work that at a job I had just got to work towards my degree in a hotel, resort, restaurant, hospitality management. And uh, it was like the best day of my life. I had just got an apartment the week before. I had just signed a loan to be able to go back to school because I had been messing around uh, and didn't make the best grades. Uh, at this point, I was already drinking and, and uh, uh, smoking the pot. Okay. So, um, Which is not uncommon for 19-year-olds. No, not uh, at mean, all. This it's is celebrated not, almost. You know, I, 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 I joke sometimes that um, when I get to heaven... God's going to say, you know, up till 16, you weren't too bad. And after 22, you did okay. But from 16 to 22, we need to talk. <laughs> because yeah. I think a lot of us go through that period of our lives where we do things we shouldn't do. And, and we experiment and do, you know, go in a wrong direction. Yeah. It was like, you know, he's going to be like, I need to talk to you from the time you were 14 <laughs> until you were 31, man. And some questionable stuff even after that. Good thing he doesn't keep track of time. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was on my way back to school. I just got back together with my girlfriend, and I was going to work my third shift that day. And I ran out of gas, and I was about like a mile, mile and a half away from school. Uh, and I got out to push my car, and somebody parked a car behind mine with their hazards on. I had my hazards on as well. Um, and they stopped to help me push. They were on the passenger side. There was no shoulder. And then I got hit by a lady that was going like 60. Uh, and I lost my leg below my uh, knee on my right leg. And then this one is all scarred up too. So you were on the freeway trying to get the car off the freeway. Yes. And that was here in the DFW. Metroplex. That was in Cedar Hill. Okay. Yes. On uh, road 1382, which now has been, there's shoulders, there's all sorts of stuff on it, but that happened. And I, and I think a if lot I remember your mom said there was construction in the area that it was not a. <laughs> it's, it's two lanes on either side. And then there's a gigantic hill. That's like a median that separates them. And the and, lady came up from behind you. Yeah. Yeah. Cause <laughs> she saw the gap where the other car had stopped. Cause we'd pushed it quite a ways. Oh. And we were just waiting for another turn in to be able to push it into there. And uh, it was it was about like it was like dusk or whatever, and it was really interesting too because traffic was going around me going like five miles an hour because it was rush hour. And she came up and she and saw that gap and just behind. went to the speed limit and just hit me. Um, so I ended up you know care flight to the hospital and a bunch of surgeries later, um, and I got introduced to uh, opioids because of pain. Right. And they had me on like really high doses of uh, Dilaudid and morphine and hydrocodone. Um, and we and hear that we hear a lot about that in the news now. It's, it's finally being brought to attention. Yeah. About doctors over medicating when hydrocodone. I mean, I, I think it, even on Netflix right now, there's a, a, a series on uh, painkiller. So I think yeah. it's called. And it's bringing the public's attention to the fact that these people were pushing these drugs knowing how dangerous they were. 
Yeah, of course. But I, I want to point out something too. Like the way that everything's going right now, they're just looking for a finger to point at somebody. They knew this stuff was addictive before Vietnam. Right. You know, and all they did was change up a molecular structure in a laboratory to make it a little bit stronger. But the potential for abuse has long been known. Right. And everybody just wants to point a finger to blame somebody or whatever. But what, what when you have patients that are in serious pain and we didn't know anything about what they call an opioid feedback loop back then. Right. Right. Which is where because uh, normally you have uh, natural uh, chemicals in your brain that that fill your opioid receptors when you're in pain. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you start supercharging your body with. Uh, other opiates, there's a potential for you to get caught in what they call a feedback loop, which is where the more pain medicine you take, the more your body stops producing those. So then the more medicine you take, the more your receptors start craving that. And then your pain gets worse, the higher amounts of medication that you it's, take. It's a, it's a, and it's a cycle, cycle, man. And I got caught what in that. Was this this that? was in 2008. So this okay. is right at the height of all that stuff. Okay. When it was getting really bad. Okay. Not that it hasn't been bad for a long time, but this was um, this was right when people started stopping writing prescriptions because they knew something was going on. Well, there on. were mills. There were like painkiller mills. Yeah. Florida's been known for it because they were so lax down there, but it's all over. Yeah. Um, but that was about that time frame. Uh, so, yeah, that pushed me down a uh, long and, and windy road of, um, of drug abuse that, you know, I, like I said, I was already... Uh, an addict, alcoholic, full time, and had no idea. But you introduced me to something, and it was like I, I stopped taking them for a little bit, and I just wanted to like smoke more weed because I thought that that would help mm -hmm. because I was still uncomfortable on the inside with myself. Right, and that was the thing. Like I just I felt like um, I felt like nobody understood me, so I had to shape shift into everything everybody else wanted me to be, or what mm -hmm. I thought that they wanted me to be which was completely delusional. You know, the coolest thing you can do in life is just be yourself. Right. Because like then people see you for who you are and they want to be that. It inspires other people to be themselves. And at that point, you were you were self-medicating to try. You went from that to yes. illegal drugs. Is that correct? Yes. Um, I got introduced to heroin. Uh, and that was... What about... What year was that? That was probably about 20... 11. Okay. And so I started three years into this. Yeah. Started snorting it and then, uh, got curious. All my friends were throwing their lives away to this stuff, shooting it up. And I was like, it can't be that good. You know? And it just, uh, I had always made jokes. I was, I would make fun of them for it. I was like, why do you want to play doctor so bad? And then I did it. You know, it's like, it's a, it's a, it's really weird. It's, we, we self-fulfill these prophecies right mm -hmm. in our lives like i don't want to be this then you end up being that because right. we're fear driven right so that fear turned me into um an addict of a mass caliber you know i was i always say that i'm like an olympic gold athlete in the drugs and alcohol um team usa well, but I mean, then I, I would pawn the medals and go get more drugs well and so, I've, I've known your mom for many years and and know that there were many times that we were fearful that you weren't going to live. Oh, that countless. There were times that that drug not only drove you, you know, into that habit, but you were homeless at times. You mm -hmm. were, I mean, tell where did that? Where what horrible places did that drug take you? 
that took me, <clears throat> it took me all up and down um, the 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 highway of hopelessness is what I'll call it. That's, okay, that's, that's a good cool. way to put I, it. I just made that up. I like that. I like that's, that. That's very good. Uh, the good thing is on video too, so I won't forget <laughs> it. Um, yeah, the but highway of hopelessness, true. man. And that with that comes like desperation and you know homelessness and crime and and everything else that I was doing. And it was, uh, you know, I, the, the interesting part is now looking back at it, that I'm, I'm grateful for all of those places that it took me, right? Because I could not comprehend, um, what peace and what, what fulfillment felt like until I had absolutely nothing. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was living on the street and I was so cynical. I was just a, a just a born cynic. Right. Um, and I, you know, I didn't want to believe in God because I had, there'd been some stuff that happened in my church with a pastor um, and another, and, and like his niece or something like that. So that shook my core beliefs when I was super young. Okay. And, and uh, that's, that's very common. People mm -hmm. have uh, um, not God experiences. They had church experiences yes. that caused them to go away from God or question God or question their faith. Um and, and that on top of, I'm sure that you went through times of, of desperation thinking, why would God let me get to this place? Of and course. But then I would try and I, I would say that I don't believe in God. But then in the back room, I'm sitting there blaming him for everything I'm going through, <laughs> which is like, you know, I, I yeah. think a lot of people can relate with I that. I think very, very much like, so, oh, yeah. God's not real, this and that. And then when they get home, it's like, why would God let me do this? Yeah. And blah, blah, blah. I mean, I've heard people that claim to be atheists and then they'll blame God. And you're yeah. like, how do you, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. And, and the whole idea is that uh, I, I was, and it's, it has to do, it's an inner problem, right? It's, it was centered in my mind because I was not enough no matter what I would do. And I always wanted to, I, I, even when I was homeless, man, I, 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 I once I pulled up to uh, my mom's house and I had some friends in the car that, uh, that were homeless with me. Um, and it was crazy. I was like, yeah, I'm going to take this guy to rehab and I'm going to do all this and this and this, but like, so he, I was still there, right? She never gave up on me because she could still see that I wanted to help people even from a young age. Um, but I can't help anybody else until I help myself. Right. Right. And I just, right. I wasn't willing, I was willing to die on that hill, you right. know? And, uh, it took me, it took me falling off the tallest tree and hitting every branch on the way down, uh, you know, homelessness, uh, coma, jail, like everything you can think of. It's, and I, I, I'm in a 12 step program now. And it's, you know, it says without a spiritual awakening, like we are doomed to jails, institutions, and death. I'm three for three multiple times over. Right. If it, if that's what it comes down to. And it, you know, everybody has their own way of saying that, like, you're either going to end up in prison or dead, right. right? If you keep using or doing what you're doing. But the the reason that I'm so grateful for for all of this stuff now is because a me being open about it, and instead of me being the victim in the situation, all of my problems are basically of my own making, right? I could have handled losing a leg better. Hey, I could have put gas in my car, and never ran out of gas in the first place, because I'm sure her life was negatively affected as well. Yeah, we, right? we can second guess. <laughs> A lot of the things that we do in our life, mm -hmm. and, and and luckily, I don't think that God second guesses us. I, I mean, he, no, everything he, happens exactly right. how it's supposed and, to. And if it was, wasn't supposed and to he happen, was there like the that, whole time, then it wouldn't have. And there was many times where we thought 
you might die and you didn't. Mm -hmm. And that's a miracle because there's no doubt in my mind as I watching it on this side of the fence that God protected you in times and was with you and helped you through some of the worst times of your life. Um, The question I've been thinking as you've gone through this, does addiction or an addictive personality run in your family? Uh, I don't, I, I wouldn't say so because like, you know, I, some of my family members, they have drank and they're like for a long time. Right. And they, they drink a couple beers and like, you can tell a difference. Me, if I, if I touch a sip of alcohol, guess what I'm doing until four in the morning and everybody else is passed out. Mm-hmm. I'm drinking it. Me, mm-hmm. if I, if I smoke weed, guess what I'm doing? I'm doing that every day after that. And yeah. I, that's just not how normal people think. And the reason I ask that, because there's always that question of, is an addictive personality hereditary? Is it not? And I think it goes along with a lot of other questions we people ask. And I think it's both. I think some people have addictive personalities because it is passed down Mm -hmm. to them, but others don't. And so you don't don't know. You don't know whether you're going to fall into that category. You never know that imaginary line until you cross it. That's right. Like all of these... All of the observations that that we can make about drug use and stuff like that would be completely pointless if we never tried it, right? right? So it's one of those things like you don't know how cold the water is until you feel the water, right? Well, that water was super cold for me and I loved it. Mm -hmm. So I just stayed in it. And uh, it was, I got to see a side of life and and experience things um, that, you know, I was so resentful at for the longest time, especially to myself and to God and all that. Um, because in that, in those moments, it was just, there was no way out. You can't see a way out, Mm -hmm. but it's almost like, you know, those action movies where you see people and like, they're at the very, they're hiding at the very end of the, the kitchen. And then all these people are coming in and then the other guy, the other guy looks at the person and he's like, I got a plan. And then all of a sudden everything comes together and they make it out alive. Mm-hmm. It's like that moment happened for me. Um, and it had been happening the whole time, but like I had to just give everything up. Right. And now looking back, like the homelessness, all that stuff, my cynicism, like for that area, I was like, man, people are just terrible. They don't care about anything. I had more clothes and more money given to me by complete strangers. I had people stop in their car and just give me a hug, you know? Wow. And it like, I've, I lived that part of my life. So I got to see a side of humanity that like that news and all that stuff, they may show you one clip of every few days, but everything else. And it's tough. It's tough to not be cynical when everything you're being shown is, uh, it's headlines, right? Because the headlines aren't, the headlines aren't reading man gives hundred dollars to a homeless guy and then homeless guy ends up in treatment and, and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, ends up trying to help other people. Those aren't the headlines that you see because that's not, there's no reason for that, right? Because they need to make money, and I totally understand that. But the reality is, like, there's good people everywhere, man. And I got to experience that, and it really changed my perspective on the whole, on the on the God thing, right? And when I uh, that at, at the very end, um, I was in a coma because my body had shut down. And when was this? Uh, this was in 2020, right? Okay, so about uh, three years ago. Yeah. I was in a coma because my like organs had failed. I was gray and I was hallucinating and they put me in a coma whenever somebody called an ambulance because they knew me. So they called an ambulance and uh, I ended up waking up, 
from the coma. I had no idea where I was. And then, but the one thing I did know, right, is my drug dealer's phone number. And I, I know, I don't even remember how long I'd been out. Um, but, you know, I got drugs, then I got arrested in the hospital. And I had several warrants from all the other stuff I had been doing. So drugs led you <clears throat> to crime. Yeah. And then that, and that's common. I mean, I, uh, I think I've told our viewers, I'm an ex-police officer, former police officer before I went to law school. And, and I think all of majority of criminals that I dealt with had drug or alcohol problems that, and a lot, lot drug because the drugs cause you to need money and yeah. you do whatever you have to take to get the money to get the drugs. It's, it's hard just, to be employed again, when you have a serious drug addiction. That's right. And so did you ever overdose? Uh, I tried to several times, but at, I was like, I was a, a much heavier user. Uh, if see all, so all these scars, anything from the waist up other than a cut right here, uh, is from drugs. Right. And they go all the way up here, like chunks of muscle missing. Like I, I was out You got there. infections. You got, yes, I've had every infection you could possibly have shooting drugs bleeding. other than like HIV and stuff like that. From the I'm drug very use. Luckily I did And they were, that. that was all from the drug use. Yes. From the drug use and, using, uh, you reusing needles, um, uh, and then eventually skin popping because I had ruined all my veins. Wow. Uh, and that's the, and, they put meat tenderizer in the cocaine because it's a white powder, mm -hmm. right? Most people snort it. Um, and that stuff just kind of ate away at my skin. Wow. Oh my gosh. And so what changed the direction? What, what turned everything around for you? Uh, and, and that, and I think I let our viewers know it wasn't a flip of the switch overnight. No, not thing. at all. Not it, at all. It was a, I fought it, it until the very last moment whenever it, it was like, it was, it wasn't like a burning bush, man, but it was, it, you know, in a painting, right? If you're just looking at like a small part of the painting, then you're just going to be like, oh, that's not that cool. Right. If you just have a zoom in picture, like somebody's like, look at this painting, you just zoom into it. You're like, I don't care. But if you zoom out that whole thing, and I call that my God lens, right? I was like zoomed into the background of a photo and, and looking for God and I couldn't see anything, right? Looking for this burning bush. And then when I zoomed out, because I started giving whatever it, whatever will that I had, I had to just, and people say this all the time in the rooms, they're like, do you believe, is there, are you even willing to believe in something greater than yourself? And uh, I heard some guy say the other day, he's like, man, your chair can be that higher power. And he was like, what do you mean? He's like, because it's not you. Because what you did obviously brought you into this room. So why don't you try doing something that worked for somebody else, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I had to start realizing that all of these things were so interconnected and and it's like it's like a, a the best it's it, it's like a movie right it's like a really good movie and it gets super bad all this stuff happens and then a plot twist and then blah 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 and i handled all that stuff bad but and did did the turn the, the, the turn happened happen in jail. while you were in jail change happened how in long jail. Were, how long were you in jail i was in jail for 19 to 20 months wow uh and it you know, 13 months of it was just free time because I had already signed for probation. I was supposed to get out and all this stuff. But um, if I would have got out a day earlier than I did, there's no telling what would have happened, you know? You know, it's funny you say that. I went on a prison ministry one time down in Huntsville and I was visiting with one of the prisoners and I, you know, you're not, you're not, when you're doing those mission trips, you're not allowed to ask them what they did or anything. But I, I asked him how long he'd been in there, and he said he'd been in there 16 years. 
And I said, well, how much longer do you have? And he told me he was up for parole in a year, but that if he didn't get parole, he had up to 17 more years. And then he's proceeded to tell me that he was involved in a drug deal gone bad that led to a killing. And I said, well, I'll say a prayer that I, that I hope you get parole. And he says, yeah, I'd like to get out. But if I don't, then that means that Christ isn't ready for me to be out of here yes. yet. And I didn't even know what to say. I mean, not being in that position, never having that happen, I, 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 I didn't know really even how to respond to him. But he was okay, not pretending, but he was truly okay with the fact that I'm going to be in here as long as God thinks I need to be in here to be a better person. Yes. And I realized that day that, you know, you always hear the thing, oh, yeah, he claims he found Christ in prison. He found Christ in, you know, this guy found Christ in prison. And Christ is in prison because Christ is with the people that need That need him. it the most, man. <laughs> and, and it sounds like that was somewhat of a experience you had. Yeah, and it's like... Cause so I, when I was in jail, I walked into an AA meeting, right. And I just did it so I could get out of the pod and you know me, I just make jokes about everything all the time yes. and they're reading page 30 of the big book. And it was like, we are like men who have lost their legs. They, they never grow new ones. And I just started laughing. I was like, man, if that's not a sign, I don't know what is. <laughs> so, uh, I sat down and then I started going to AA. And when I got out, I went to a, a treatment center, um, and they were very, uh, 12 step based and, um, God this, God that. And that that was still, I fought it. I still fought it every okay. second of the way. And then when I ended up leaving that treatment center, I was I, I had two decisions to make, right? I could go, uh, and since I had spent a lot of time or a lot of time away from drugs, uh, my brain had started to really work in a different way. In a, in a, a way that I used to remember it working, like curious, but but protective. And, and I just want to know things, mm -hmm. just to know them, you sure. know? And uh I'd started listening to people too, which which was very, I used to think I was smarter than everybody. You know, I used to think I know everything. And it, it, at some moment when I was in that treatment center, um, I realized that I really don't know anything, right? And then that's when all of the cool things started to happen, wow. right? It was really, really unique because I, I, I took a train to back to Dallas and... Uh, and when I got to Dallas, I was at a station. I knew I could have just got high. You know, mm -hmm. it's everywhere. I could have oh, got sure. high. I can get high at a gas station in Plano if I wanted to. Sure. I'm a drug addict, man. I can I can find it in the middle of Egypt, 2,000 miles away from people if I had to. Right. But um, instead, I got in the car with my mom, went back home, um, and then decided to go to a sober living. And because my parents helped me out uh, for a while when I was there, and uh, then I ended up starting to work and I worked and I got a job in treatment. Um, and it's, I was going to meetings. I was doing all the stuff that I said I never wanted to do. And so what are you doing now? What? Um, I still work in treatment now at a place that helps, uh, adolescents. Right. Okay. And there's only four places in the entire Texas area or state of Texas area, state of Texas. Yeah. Um, well, we're our own area. Yeah, know. we are our own country. Let's yeah. not forget that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, it helps adolescents. Um, and because I figured I was already feeling hopeless and lost. And then, uh, and, and had I not used drugs for as long as I did, then maybe like I would have had this 
experience and all of this stuff that would have helped me, right? So you got you probably have the best chance to recover um, being young, mm-hmm. right? If 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 somebody that you trust that's cool enough that might make you laugh or whatever walks into a room and is like, hey man, you're messing up, then maybe you might listen to him, right. or at least I would have, right? And right. so I want to, and I have a friend who says we are most equipped to help the people that we used to be like. Right. Yeah. Oh, most definitely. I and and I, I I'm glad you said that because that I hear it over and over and over. People saying I've screwed my life up too bad. What what could I do any good? How could I do any good? Because people don't know my background. If they knew my background, the best people that have helped the most people are people that have been through it mm-hmm. and taken the pardon my bluntness the hell that they've gone through, and 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 teach people you don't want to go through that hell and and that's what you're doing you're helping kids realize they don't want to go down that road yeah because it's like why if i went through all of this stuff um and there was no if i just went through all this stuff to sit around and complain about it well then like i'm gonna have a great life just sitting there and complaining instead now that i'm on the other side of it like my perspective, my cynical perspective, or uh, perception, right? My mm-hmm. cynical perception of the world has been um, has been of use in shaping my new perspective, right? That's awesome. Because when you're living in, most of the world lives in perception. We see this, we see that, so we mm-hmm. think this, we think that. Instead of being able to get like a bird's eye view of any situation or any person and be like, oh, well, this happened, so then this happened. And so perspective is built on... Uh, on experience right and all of my things that i've been through in my life that i keep talking about how i'm grateful for i'm grateful for it i'm grateful i lost my leg i'm grateful i got in that car wreck i'm grateful for being homeless i'm grateful for all this stuff because guess what now that i i'm i'm shaping my perspective and and viewing things from a fairly unbiased standpoint i can be judgmental still everybody Mm -hmm. can oh sure um i try to be as unbiased as possible um in most situations. And then being able to use that stuff with a perspective based on experience is what makes the wanting to help people powerful, right? Because right. I can go up and find, like there's people um, you know, behind dumpsters somewhere that there's no way out for them. Right. Well, there is, and that's the cool part about it. Because well, awesome. like I slept behind a McDonald's, man, like for two years of my life and under bridges and I've been there. I've been there and done that. And I was one of the gnarliest ones out there. Everybody else was like, man, you got a problem. Yeah. And when the homeless people are telling you, you got a problem, <laughs> man, you probably got a problem. You got a problem. That's right. And, uh, and it, but it's but amazing you're, you're- though, because I see, I see people, uh, I, it's like when I, when I'm talking to people, sometimes I just see like a light bulb go off in there mm-hmm. or go on in their head. And it's, it's cause you never know what two words that you say to somebody, um, are going to change their life forever. And I'm not breaking any new ground with anything I say. I am just repeating things um, that I've heard other people say with maybe my little twist. And probably if you meet me out in the world, probably several F words in between, (laughs) right? Well, I appreciate you not doing that. I've I've done really good today. (laughs) You've done really good today. (laughs) Well, I'm going to bring this plane in for a landing because we're out of time. But I can't thank you enough, Chad, for sharing your story. Absolutely. That no matter what life treats you and does to you or you've been through, it's not too late. It's not too late to to make something different. You are doing amazing things. And I'm going to sound like your dad right now, but I, I can't tell you how proud I am of you. 
I appreciate it. In everything that I've seen you go through, Chad, to see you sit here today is the biggest blessing I could have ever imagined. And I'm so proud of you. I appreciate and, that. And I thank you for everything you're doing. I thank you for the, the people you're saving. And I hope this show uh, touches at least one person out there to think in a different direction and go in a different direction and realize that it's never too late. I, I can't thank you guys enough. Thank you again, Chad, for Absolutely. coming. God bless you guys for showing up. We'll see you guys next week. Take care, everybody.